John 14, verses 12 through 31. John chapter 14, starting in verse 12. You'll remember that Jesus is speaking to his disciples on the night in which he was betrayed, that evening before his crucifixion, as he instructed them, particularly how to live as his disciples in light of his imminent uh, departure to the Father. He would be crucified, he would rise, he would ascend to the Father, and he was instructing them, even as he also therefore instructs us today uh, as his disciples. So let me read, starting in verse 12. Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray for his blessing upon his word. O Lord, our God, our Father, we thank you for the gospel of your Son and this passage in particular. We pray that you would uh, teach and instruct us by your word and the words that have been read and the preaching which will follow, that you would guide us in your truth and sanctify us by your truth the truth that you have revealed unto us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This is a very rich passage. Um, 
thought about possibly breaking it up further, uh, but there are themes that he comes to and returns to, and he says a different way, and uh, it's a style that Jesus uses here, and one that John takes after in his epistles as well, where he'll have certain themes and and subjects that comes to and says a different way and intersperses them. Uh, so we'll we'll cover this passage, but there is much in it. I think the essential idea is that Jesus was ascending to heaven, which could make his disciples think that he was going away and it would be a time for them to be grieved or, or troubled. And Jesus is encouraging them and is encouraging in particular that they would enjoy fellowship with the Father and the Son through the Spirit. Uh, Notice that the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, are very prominent in passages like this. It keeps going back from me and and my Father and the Spirit and the Father and the Son and and the Spirit, Um, and that it would be to their advantage that he would ascend on high. In fact, if they loved him, they would rejoice uh, at this. And because he ascended, it's not actually, not only in spite of ascending to heaven, they would enjoy this fellowship, but because he ascended to heaven, they would engro- enjoy this greater fellowship and do greater works and that there would be uh, better things. And this fellowship that they would enjoy, um, of course, they participate in it. They they do certain things. Christ's disciples believe in Jesus They do great works, they pray in his name, they love him, they keep his commandments, they rejoice in his ascension to the Father. Uh, And then God also, the triune God, uh, participates in this fellowship. He mentions things that God does. God works through them. God answers their prayers. God helps them. God dwells with them. God brings Christ's words to their remembrance. And God gives them peace. So let's look at this fellowship uh, that uh, believers have with the triune God. And let's start with verses 12 through 14. There Jesus teaches that believers will do greater works because Jesus went to the Father. Uh, We pray and he does these things that the Son might be glorified in the Father. And there's this these greater works, and I think verses 12 through 14 are tied together, that there's these greater works that are being done, and, and they're being done in answer to, to prayer, and that Jesus is at his Father's right hand, and that he's having these things be carried out so that the Father would be glorified in the Son, and that is why there's greater things uh, being done uh, through his disciples. They do these things because I am going to the Father, and so uh, they're not doing them all on their own. They are the works that Jesus does, just like the works Jesus did were the works the Father does, that the Father and the Son were, were working together. So Jesus would be doing these greater works, but he would be doing them through those who believe in him. And he would do them uh, in response uh, to their prayers. What are these greater works, though? What are the, the works of Jesus that they would do, and even greater works than these that they would do. Are you going to do greater works than Jesus? Would the apostles do greater miracles than Jesus? Think about it, children. Can you think of the miracles the apostles did? Can you think about the miracles that Jesus did? Did the, did the apostles 
do greater works than Jesus? They, I mean, they, they did pretty marvelous works. But I don't know that we would say that it was obvious that they did greater works than Jesus. Did they feed the 5,000? You know, there's, there's a lot of amazing things that Jesus did. They did similar miracles, I would say, uh, in demonstration of the Spirit's power among them. But I think Jesus is referring to something else, something where there would be a greater contrast Jesus, I think, refers to the work of the gospel and the conversion of the world. There are things that were not done during his earthly ministry, which would be done through the work of his church, through his work in his church, through the whole body of his church, through all those who believe in him. Even on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people are saved. That is a great work, a work of God, but it was through preaching, like Peter's preaching and the preaching of the other apostles. And so they would do the works of Jesus and greater works in some respects than Jesus did during his earthly ministry. And they would do these things because Jesus went to the Father. Isn't that Peter's explanation for the day of Pentecost? Why does the Spirit come upon? Why are they speaking in tongues? It's because... The Spirit has been poured out because Jesus is ascended to the Father. You know, that is why his kingdom now goes forth to the world, that all authority has been given him. And now he has received a kingdom of all peoples and tribes and languages. And now these great works are being carried out from heaven. And so his disciples believe, they're mentioned here, identified as those who believe in Jesus, right? Uh, those who believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Those who believe in him have, have passed out of death into life. Those, his disciples are those who believe in Jesus, and they're going to work. And they're going to pray. And they're going to ask these things of Jesus. And Jesus will hear. He is our mediator. He is the one through whom we pray to God. We pray in his name. We pray as Christians, as those who have a a, a mediator in heaven for us and jesus does these things for us that the father may be glorified in the son verses 15 through 17 uh, move on and, and and jesus teaches that if you love jesus you will keep his commandments and that the spirit of truth will be sent to those who do uh, the, the same people who love Jesus and are keeping his commandments, that he will also pray or ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, even the spirit of truth. Verse 15 is both a statement of fact and an exhortation. It says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. I I think here it's a statement of fact and an exhortation. The fact is that those who love Jesus will, as a result, keep his commandments. Those who truly love Jesus, what are they going to do? How is that love uh, expressed? Uh, It is expressed in obedience. That would be true love for Jesus. Uh, They obey, they keep his commandments out of love. Love is to be the motive. Love is to be the, the... thing from which 
this obedience, the, the motive of this obedience. Do we obey Jesus grudgingly, like he is a harsh master? And that's not to be the way that we obey him, his disciples obey him. Rather, it to be, is to be out of love. And if you love Jesus, this should be what you, as a consequence, do. The result of love for Jesus will be keeping his commandments, which is not a new thing. Love and keeping commandments, as we saw in Deuteronomy, had long been united, should not have been a surprise. But it's also an exhortation. With this fact in mind, if you love Jesus, you're exhorted to express that love by keeping his commandments. Do you love Jesus? Then keep his commandments. Do you love him? Then keep his commandments. His commandments would include certainly the things that are recorded in the Gospel of John, certainly include that which is the teachings of Jesus uh, during his earthly ministry. It would also include the words that were recorded by his apostles in, in their epistles, for they were apostles sent out from Jesus. And we'll find reference later in this passage to the Spirit bringing Jesus's teachings to their remembrance. But it also does not it also includes the Old Testament, because remember what Jesus said in the Gospel of Matthew, that he did not, did not come to abolish the law and the prophets, uh, that rather to fulfill them. We understand the Old Testament in the light of Jesus, and we obey them in obedience to Jesus. He is our Lord, uh, but the whole Bible is to inform us of what is his will. And so, uh, with Scripture is our guide. Uh, we seek to keep these commandments out of love for him. We ought to. Now, not only will the believer be active in love and obedience, but Jesus is active too. He's active in asking the Father to give another helper, the Spirit of truth. And we learn a few things about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a person, not a force. The Holy Spirit is one of the the persons of the Trinity. He is a, a personal, uh, uh, the, the Spirit is personal. He's not a mere force uh, that is out there. Jesus describes the Spirit in personal terms when he called the Spirit another helper. Uh, Jesus is a, a helper, and the Spirit is another helper. That word is translated helper here. It's uh, a difficult word to translate into English. Uh, it's the idea of helper, but not like a subordinate helper, uh, but rather one who gives help, one who uh, is a comforter is another way it's translated. Encourager, we could say, or an advocate, one who stands up for you. Um, it's the, where we get the, the word exhortation or encouragement in the Bible. Uh, it is someone who's going to be alongside you, to strengthen you, to uphold you. Jesus is that, and there is another helper which will be sent, and that is the Holy Spirit, which is a, a personal idea, not uh, merely a wind or a, a force. The Spirit can be lied to, we find in Acts. Uh, the, that implies a personal relation to the Spirit. The Spirit can also be grieved as we find in Ephesians. So the Spirit is a person, not a force. We also learn that the Spirit is distinct from the Father and the Son. The Spirit is sent by the Father. So he's distinguished from the Father. 
Jesus is a helper, so the Spirit is another helper. So he's distinguished from the Son. Not separated from, but, but distinct persons. Um, the Spirit is distinct from both of them, even though the three of them are one God, the same in substance, equal in power and glory. Now the Spirit is given that he might be with you forever. Jesus would ascend to his Father, but he would send the Spirit to remain with you. The world cannot receive or know him, He is something for God's people, and believers do know him, for he abides. He dwells with you all, and he will continue to be in you all, is what Jesus says. That he will dwell with you. It's the idea of abiding, remaining. Uh, He will live with you. And when it says he will be in you, it's the idea of he will continue to be in and among you believers, you disciples of Jesus Christ. Love is a fruit of his work. He writes God's commandments on your hearts. So it's very uh, natural for it to be connected here with loving Jesus, keeping his commandments, and the Spirit comes uh, to us and actually also uh, works these things in us, that we might not be on our own resources for these things. He comforts us. He builds us up. He strengthens believers. He helps believers. He is with you, not merely by his omnipresence, not just from the fact that God is everywhere. So, of course, the Holy Spirit is here. But he will be with you in fellowship with you and in activity uh, in your life. You know, if someone is standing behind you, but you don't really know that they're there and they don't do anything with you and you're not talking to them at all, you know, like, are they even really there with you? Or they just happen to be geographically close, you know, as opposed to someone who is there with you, doing the things you're doing, or, or talking with you, or uh, doing something with you or to you. That is the person who is with you in a different sense. And it's the Spirit who will dwell with you as the Comforter. In verses 18 through 24, we have almost the same thing said in different ways. Um, In verses 18 through 24, again, it returns to the theme of love and commandments and then goes to the theme of fellowship again. Um, If I can find it again. In verses 18 through 20, uh, that may refer to Christ's appearance to his disciples after his resurrection, where he says, I will come to you. There's debate about, does that mean... I will come to you after the resurrection and you will see me and then you'll know, you know, that I am in you and you are in me that, you know, you have greater conviction after that point because it's just in a little while and you will see me and the world won't see me. So that would make a sense of that being the timing or it's referring to Jesus coming uh, spiritually through the work of the spirit that Jesus will dwell in your hearts through the spirit, applying him to you and working this faith in you. Um, some would even re- think of it that he's referring to the second coming, uh, but I think one of the either the first or second option is more likely. In any case, in verse 21, uh, we Jesus returns to the theme of love and commandments. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Those who love Jesus are not simply those who have his commandments. It is the person who has Christ's commandments and keeps them. 
That is the person who loves Jesus. The person who loves Jesus then will also experience the love of the Father and the Son. It says, And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Then later on, after Judas, not Iscariot, asks his question, Jesus says, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. The believers love Jesus and therefore keep his commandments and keep his word. They accept and trust Jesus' claim to be the Christ. You know, in one sense, that's, one of his, that's part of his word. I am the Christ. I am the Savior. We ought to believe in that. That's an obedient response to his word and to, to receive him as the Christ. And then uh, observe his commandments, that the way he wants his disciples to live, to love one another, for example. And as Jesus loved you... You also love him in return. But those, he goes on to say, who do not love Jesus do not keep his words. Do you love Jesus? Have you not seen his love and mercy? We have reason to love Jesus. He first loved us. He came as a man. He laid down his life for Sinners who had done him no good? If you love him then, knowing these things, do not simply sit around with a knowledge of his word. It's good to know his word. It's good to know his commandments. But not just to sit there and be like, oh, I guess it's good to know that. I guess I'm smart. But no, we're supposed to do something with it. We're supposed to observe it, to keep it. To keep it is is not... It, it does imply obeying them, but it's even a, a richer word than that. It means to guard them. Uh, it means to to possess them and observe them, to treasure them. Uh, it, and that is the way we ought to treat his word. To learn to observe them, to meditate upon them, day and night. Now the Father will love the person who loves the Son, if someone loves Jesus, the Father will love him. And the Son will love him, love the person who loves him. Now, of course, the Father and the Son already loved us before we loved him. It's not like, well, I'm going to wait till they love me, and then I'll guess I'll love them. Is that the way God treats us? No. No, he, he loved us first. So what's Jesus saying here? He's saying the person who loves Jesus will be loved by the Father and the Son. They already loved us, but after our conversion, after we begin loving Jesus, their love continues, and it's experienced personally as fellowship is restored. And so speaking of this now life that we live with Christ, that, that God loves you, and that the Father loves you, and the Son loves you. In fact, the Father and the Son will come to the one who loves Jesus and make their, their home with you. The Spirit will come to you. That's how I said it kind of repeats a similar theme here. But the Father and Son will also come and make their home with that person. And so here's promised a personal fellowship with the Father and the Son. The word for home here, make their home with him, is the same as rooms or mansions in verse 2. You know, in verse 2 where Jesus said, In my Father's house there are many rooms or many mansions, many abiding places is one way to put it. Well, 
we will dwell with God in glory. There are rooms for us with God. But already he comes to dwell with us. He will make his room with you. The Father sends the Spirit to remain with you all, not to keep you at arm's length, but that through the Spirit you might enjoy fellowship with the Father and the Son, and they will live with you. And the same thing that what I said about the Spirit applies to the Father and the Son, not simply to be present, not simply to know what you're doing, God does that for everyone, but rather to be with you as uh, as one who is a, a friend, as one who is a father, one who is active in your life, one who has fellowship with you. Now verses 25 through 27 speak again of the Holy Spirit. See how we kind of come around to similar themes and now we're coming back to the Holy Spirit in verses 25 through 27. uh, Jesus says, these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So Jesus is going to return to the Father. Uh, He had spoken to them his words and commandments face to face while on earth. But he would ascend to the Father. Would they lose his word? Would they lose his word now that he was going? No. He would send the Spirit, and the Spirit would remind them of what Jesus had taught them and would give them understanding of his words. Now this most directly applies to the apostles to those whom Jesus had spoken with while he was still with them. These words would be brought to their remembrance, since they had already heard them from Jesus himself. So they're being reminded of what they had already heard from him, but now they're being reminded by the Spirit. The apostles would be guided by the Spirit in the remembrance of the message of Jesus, so that what they taught and what they proclaimed would be the same as what Jesus taught and Jesus proclaimed. And so their writings would be the same message as what Jesus taught and Jesus proclaimed. And so if you want to know what Jesus taught, you look to the writings of the apostles. Of course, that was both by word of mouth, by their preaching, as well as by their writing when they were living, but they aren't living anymore. Uh, but Hebrews talks about how the message was first proclaimed by the Lord and, those, and then by those who heard from him. The same message. And that message was written down by the inspiration of the Spirit and given to the church as the New Testament. And so what Jesus says here does apply to you uh, indirectly uh, through the apostles. The Spirit teaches the church today the same apostolic message by illumining your minds to understand Scripture. The Spirit teaches you all things and, and teaches you what Jesus taught by opening your minds to understand the scripture. So the teachings of Jesus have been given to you. And why have they been given to you? Simply so that you can have them? No, so that you can also keep them and observe them and walk by them and follow him to be Jesus's disciples. Not just, not my disciples, right? But Jesus's disciples to learn from him even today. Paul speaks of this also in 1 Corinthians 2, that these things are freely given by the Spirit, that the apostles proclaimed these Spirit-given things, and the spiritual people, those whom the Spirit had worked in, would understand these things, things which the natural man, things which the world 
would not receive. Jesus also says that he gives his disciples peace. He gives them peace, a lasting peace, a peace that would remain, uh, a peace that would not be as the world would give peace. And we find that the world does not have a lot of peace to give, uh, but that Jesus would give uh, reason for his disciples to be confident and to have peace with God first and foremost, but a peace that passes all understanding. The passage then concludes verses 28 through 31. Jesus says, you guys really should be rejoicing that I'm going to the Father. If you loved me, you would be rejoicing, for the Father is greater than I. Now, does that seem odd for for him to say, is the Father greater than the Son? Yes and no. Uh, I think it's the Athanasian Creed that says, according to his, uh, his divinity, uh, he, they are equal, but according to his humanity, uh, the Father is greater. And I think that's what's in view here, especially to make sense of the sentence. Um, the Father is greater than I. He's not just saying that as a bare statement, but he's saying that you have reason to rejoice because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Why would it be good for Jesus to go to someone greater? Well, Jesus was then in the form of a servant. He was uh, humbled. He was in a a state of humiliation. But this man, who is also God, this this, uh, man, Jesus Christ, would be exalted. He would receive a kingdom. He would receive all authority in heaven and on earth in his capacity as the mediator, so that he would therefore be able to apply the salvation and extend it to all the earth, it would be good reason for rejoicing that he was going to the Father, to go to the ancient of days, uh, to one who, according to Christ's humanity, was greater than him, that he might uh, receive these things. It also applies to what he says in verse 30 and 31. Um, Jesus would go forth now to encounter the ruler of this world, the devil, because Jesus was about to go to death. And he says, I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Um, It's in Christ's capacity as the incarnate mediator, as one who had undertook this office as Redeemer and who had become man, that therefore he obeyed his Father's commandments, that the Father had commandments to give him, that he had this mission, therefore, that he would lay down his life for the people that the Father had given him, to save. He had this mission, and in the form of a servant, he would obey his father to the point of death, death on a cross. And so he would show his eternal love for the father by this historical human obedience, by laying down his life for the elect. And so just as Jesus tells you, if you love me, keep my commandments, he says, and I love the father, and therefore I will keep his commandment. Jesus does the same thing he asks of us, that he would keep his Father's commandments to lay down his life, willingly, of course, out of love for us, but also in obedience to his Father's will. And so this, of course, is the foundation of your salvation. It's also an example that we should also, therefore, love him and keep his commandments. So Jesus ascended to heaven after all of this, And yet you and I can enjoy fellowship with the Father and the Son through the Spirit whom they have sent. 
So believe in Jesus. Do his works. Pray in his name. Love him and therefore keep his commandments. Rejoice in his ascension to the Father. And the triune God will also do his work. God will work through his church. He will answer your prayers. The Spirit comes as a comforter, as an encourager, as a helper, an advocate. He dwells with you in the Father and the Son as well. The Spirit teaches you Christ's words. And Christ has left you his peace. So let us give thanks to our God. Give him glory and praise. Join with me in prayer. Dear Father, we thank you for your uh, word and also in the provision that you have made for us in this life that we might have fellowship with the God of the universe, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, a a, a mystery to us and a great thing and a reality that we now have fellowship with, that you have made your home with each one of us who have faith in Jesus Christ. We thank you for this glorious gift and we pray that you would help us more and more to experience this love, to um, see you at work in our lives, that you would increase love for you and the keeping of your commandments. We ask that you would indeed do great works through your church to save the lost and to build us up in comfort and holiness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.